0: I'm Kathleen, and I'm Dee, and you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Ma, mama, 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 um, mama, Interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content. Yeah. Um, on where we were at, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama is a bond. Mama is a bond. Is is Mama the bones? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Yeah. You're Uh -uh. in another zone, but you're totally out of the toilet.
1: Mama, 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 mama. Mama, Mama. Mama. weird. Today we're speaking with Natasha Valley, who is a very dear friend. Natasha is a lecturer at UCT in sociology since this year, right? Twenty nineteen. Uh huh but has been living in Cape Town now for two years and is an artist and a mama to a 26-month-old. So
2: welcome, Natasha. Welcome, Natasha. Thanks so much for having me, guys.
1: So I think, yeah, I think we'll jump right in. So you, like us, you're super um, sleep-deprived and possibly not functioning so well in the world and you live in Cape Town and you're a born and bred Joe Burger, right?
2: All of those are things that I am. Yeah. Um, although I'm getting slightly more peace at the moment because my child has learned to differentiate between mama and mommy he used to just say mama for both of us and now I can totally be like no he's saying mommy it's you (laughs) your turn (laughs) so that's given me that's given me about 30 percent more not child time, which has been a blast. And this is in the last week kind of business. So I'm very, relieved for that.
1: So tell us, how was it moving to Cape Town and and what made you move? Because that's quite a big deal. You were pregnant when you moved, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: So um, it's a long story and I'll tell you the parts of it that probably would be uh, most relevant and interesting for this platform. I just want to say, I do think your guys' podcast is so important. I'm an avid listener. Uh, hey. uh, totally fangirl all the time. And then a friend came in the other day and said to me, oh, you have to listen to this podcast. It's called Mamas with Attitude. And I was like, oh, you mean by my dearest friend. <laughs> so, so you're very much trending.
1: Hey. Thanks, love. It's always fun to hear yeah. about new people listening and that, that it's kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own, eh? Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like it's only our friends listening, even though we have no idea who's listening or no control, but yeah, thanks.
0: Well, sometimes you kind of feel like, you know those Armageddon movies with the person who sits in front of the computer going, hello, hello, <laughs> is anyone out there? And then <laughs> wait, like a static sound a bit on the other end and like, no one's out there. No other <laughs> humans. That's what it kind of someone feels like, except yeah. for your guests, you know. So when we get feedback, we're we're related. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool.
2: And you know, he he's a a man person, and yeah. he doesn't have any kids. So That's I thought. Wow. That he was really, uh, No, he doesn't have any kids. That's fascinating. Yeah, so. So I mean, I think he's interested in the, in just in the stories in being. A woman in South Africa and all of those kinds of things that you guys kind of raised. Yeah, it's not just about mama issues that a lot of these things are related. Anyway, enough for your guys' egos. Um, yes, I moved to Cape Town. I find out I'm pregnant in January. And then I find out I got a postdoc in Cape Town. And my partner, Emily, was still finishing off her job. So I moved to Cape Town by myself for that year to do the postdoc. And Dee, I don't know if you remember, but I just like basically didn't leave the house for that first year. In mm-hmm. fact, there was this one day where Dee had planned a surprise baby shower for me, which was just possibly the worst thing to do <laughs> ever. And so she kept being like, okay, I'm coming to fetch you now. And I just refused to answer my phone the whole day because I was like, I'm not leaving the house. So then the next day I got photos from my baby. Of everyone eating this cake. Yeah, so it was that year that year that I was pregnant that I was in Cape Town by myself. Then I went to Joburg for my maternity leave. And then my partner and I both moved to Cape Town together. She had completed her job in Joburg. While I was doing the postdoc, I applied for this job at UCT and got it. And she also happened to get a job here in Cape Town. So we were like, right. So this is kind of a long-term business. Sure,
1: sure,
2: yeah. Um, and this is where we've stayed. I guess in a way, wherever we would have chosen to raise our child, It would have been a whole different experience of being in that place. Absolutely. So even if we had stayed in Josie, like doing this family thing would have meant that we'd have to interact with the city in a different way. So I don't really know what it would have been like had we have stayed. And so I can't do that comparison. But if a few friends are moving to Joburg, to Cape Town now from Joburg with kids and have been asking. And I guess the things I tell them are like, you know, outside activities are amazing, the beach is wonderful. Figuring out other parents wow is a lot mm-hmm. but I imagine that's a lot wherever you are you know there's this kid in class whose parents are so cool and I keep trying to make terribly friends with this child <laughs> <laughs> like, guys I can't even tell you the levels of cool like chimorenga cool like actually from Chimurenga cool. <laughs> <laughs> awkwardly I know who you're speaking about like, don't
1: <laughs> no. Look, I yeah I know and I feel like that's a thing here too Like, you know, you kind of know who's whose parents and, you know, sometimes you're friendly with those people, but sometimes you're not. And then the kids actually, ironically, of course, it would be how it works out, have no desire in speaking with that child. Oh. Or hanging out.: So it is quite funny, though, I think. So you've moved to Cape Town. You guys are relatively settled at this point. Tarek. this is Natasha and Emily. This is their son, and he has been in a nursery school kind of space for a while, which I'd also really love to touch on with you because you two made quite different decisions, particularly in his very, very early life around childcare. I kind of now want to like swing around to how to Tariq in the world and the decision to have a baby. I suppose the best way to describe it is that you and Em made decisions around wanting to have a child, right? And as a same-sex couple, there are some options but that seem quote-unquote conventional and there's some that aren't.
2: So Em um, and I had been talking about having children some magical time in the future <laughs> for quite a while. Em um, is a bit older than me and I think was always a lot more enthusiastic. You know, I, I always had the sense that unless I was going to have like an oopsie, Mm. I wasn't really going to make any moves towards having a baby. Mm. And you know, it's a bit difficult to have an oopsie when, <laughs> when you're with another woman. <laughs> uh, maybe sometime in the future, but for now. I don't know. Is it is it PC to call it a whoopsie? What straight people call it?
1: Yeah, a chlipsy. Uh, yeah, that's that. That is the same. A yeah. and oopsie. Yeah. right? Yeah, then, but, so, fun fact most
0: children are conceived on an oopsie. Yes, because nobody would choose to do that thing. <laughs> nobody was choosing. I was drunk both times I decided to have mine. <laughs>
2: so yeah yeah you know if your rational mind is in place
1: I don't know I don't know no. that's yeah, yeah I agree.
2: so anyway so having known all of that I so yeah the, the oopsie was the only situation I could kind of manifest the possibility of having a child but Em and I have always been uh, from the time we got together which was about nine years ago we've always been in an open relationship and what that means has changed over time. Emily doesn't like the term open relationship. We haven't found the term that quite works for us yet. Um, Non-monogamous relationships can sometimes be useful because it can hold a lot of other possibilities. Mm. But we've always uh, been open to having relationships outside of our primary relationship, which is with one another. So I had met this guy on Tinder. I swiped right. (laughs) and As you know, I've got such a type. Em and I were talking about having our second child, and I was like, you know, we're having a conversation about race, and I'm really, yeah, anyway, so the details are not necessary right now, but I'm very interested in having black sperm. But she's like, seriously, Natasha, you swipe right on the whitest looking men. I don't know where you thought this magical black sperm going to come from. (laughs) Anyway, so I swipe right on this guy. The whitest
0: of the whites. This time.
2: Oh what? In my defense he was grey, so I didn't know just how blonde he was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so this guy and I started to have almost like a once a monthly really nice Sunday morning brunch date where we'd get together. Um he'd have Croissants and coffee, I'd come over, we'd chat most of the time, we'd have sex, and then I'd leave and do my life. And one of um, Emily and my agreements was that the sex with other people is always protected, okay. so that was always the case. And then when Emily and I started mean to mean, talk, what do you mean by uh, contraception? I
0: mean,
2: I use oh. condoms, you? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we have a security guard at the door. <laughs>
0: Sorry, right, Natasha, go, continue. <laughs> He's
2: having a <laughs> <laughs> While our bodyguard is there, we're having sex. <laughs> and then, you know, Em and I started talking about it, and we spoke with him, mm-hmm. and we were like, you know, people never fall pregnant on, you know, when it takes a long time, so we're like, how about the guy and I just not use protection for a while and see what happens. Okay. Of course, so, the, the first thing. time, the very first time. Good also drunk.
0: Oh wow, well, also drunk. But can I back it up a little bit? So you and Em went and chatted to him together? Or how did that place?
2: No no M M had never
0: met him. Oh, that
2: was an awkward meeting when they finally did meet the first time. Now they're now they're friends. Em and I chatted by ourselves and then I chatted with him. So I was kind of the you between know? Yeah, and then I, 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 I Sorry. I, I like Why did I say who? He likes details. I do the like swan. details.
1: <laughs> I like. That's why you're a good storyteller. Why don't you tell us the colour of your underwear (laughs) the day it all happened?
0: Well, when you gave me the croissants and coffee and brunch, I have like an idea of like this sun-filled flat somewhere in like, I don't know, Kilani or Ilovo. Oh my god! (laughs) You have got it in Ilovo! (laughs) Yes, yes, yes! Flat, sun-filled,
2: all of the above. Oh, amazing! See what I'm saying? I need the details. Give it to me, okay, yes? Wow, okay. Okay, Patli, where did he get the croissants? Oh, you said four four the four nine, croissants! Fornus! Fornus! No, 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 no. Wait, did he yes! Fornus! <laughs> <laughs> I love it! <laughs>
0: wow, 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 wow! Babe, wow, <laughs> <wow. laughs> we were practically there. We were with you in bed, beside you. I know, why didn't you just tell the story, man? <laughs> Okay, wait, okay. So what are you saying? So
2: okay. I mean, I had been um, my child outside the door being like, What craziness is going on in that room? <laughs> um I I mean obviously so one of my other things was this was my um arrangement with myself my arrangement with myself was that I would always be straight up with the person about that. I was in an open relationship. No, not like the first minute I met them because you want to at least decide whether they are worth the energy to even have that conversation. But once I kind of established that they were giving me their time and I was giving them my time, I'd have that conversation. So he knew obviously about Emily and obviously over the kind of six months I'd spoken about her and uh, she's an absolutely amazing person. And I think he had obviously gotten that um, from me speaking about, um, and our relationship over time and so he said yeah you know this is something i'd be willing to do and we probably again didn't talk about it as much as we should have in theory and he said yeah that's something i would be willing to do of course once it happened um, it was a bit like oh we should talk <laughs> um. And so, Em, me, and him got together at the Mug and Bean in Kilani Mall at like 9 p.m. at night. Guys, Kilani Mall is the worst at any time, <laughs> 9 p.m. <laughs> like Sunday night, it was so awkward. We were all sitting there eating those burgers where the cow, like, definitely died about seven years ago. <laughs> talking about this pile. But of course, I'm sitting there, and the two of them, Emily and the guy, have so much in common. They're basically like the same person, but strange, have so much in common, look very similar. So Dee can attest to how Tarek looks so much like Emily. <laughs> it is sometimes a bit awkward. I mean, it, it's all worked out really well. And um, I imagine there was potential it couldn't have worked out well, um, but it, it's been really wonderful. So yeah, that's, that's the story and that's how it happened.
0: So does he still play a role in Tarek's life?
2: He's open to playing whatever role we want him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I send him photos kind of once a week, and he makes kind of funny, sweet, appropriate commentary. Um, he's seen Tariq a few times, okay. so for his birthday and for Christmas, and he always kind of gets him a thoughtful gift. Um, and he wrote Tariq a really long letter when when Tariq was born that I've put in Tariq's scrapbook for me to give to Tariq when he's old enough to be able to read it. And it kind of says like, you know, you have these two wonderful mothers, um, you're so lucky. And it kind, we, we're kind of wanting to be guided by Tariq at a stage when he's able to um, understand some of the concepts. Mm. So we'll see. It's also, I'm taking guidance from Emily because the world so prioritizes and privileges biological parents that I think that she also needs to take the lead on what makes her comfortable or uncomfortable. And so that's also what's happened. So we're in the process of her adopting Tariq now. It's taken quite a while. You know, for me, no matter what Em is has always been Tarek's mother yeah, yeah. at times, God, I wish, like, I wish, wish that, <laughs> yeah, she's always been Tarek's mother. At times I wish that, uh, I was less a mother because she's just often so much better at it than I am. <laughs> so for me, like the papers and stuff weren't, it didn't really make a difference, but understandably for her, you know, this has been a really important part of the process for her. So we're, we're going through the, the adoption, but you know, for that adoption, they also had to check on me. Like, nobody's checking on the two of you because you're biological mothers. I'm having to give them my police clearance and stuff. It's, it's yeah, it's quite scary. I, I, thought, I thought just by having the child I was done. But no, they're still checking. Sure. So they're checking. So they want police
0: clearance. Why? To make the, well,
2: yeah, to check that the child's not living in an environment with anyone that's, that's been, uh, that has criminal charges that could be harmful to the child. I think that
0: the yeah. question that I'm asking is that it's like, pathologizing mm. unnecessarily
2: yeah but also I mean yeah they uh, so this is the case where the child which is called an internal adoption where the child's already living in the home but oftentimes it would be an external adoption where the child's coming into a home and you do want to check that the, yeah, yeah. Sure. That the environment sure. is safe hmm? morning town
1: Mama. How was Taui sleep? Fine.
0: What number is the iPad?
2: Hi, Mama. May I get a kiss? Good morning, please. Yeah. Thanks, Taw.
0: Good good Mama, Oh, well. Uh uh a ah uh, uh. not ah What's the name? the nipple. Oh, and,
2: and, 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 and I'm an I'm a mommy. And I'm a mommy. And I'm a mommy. And I'm with mommy. I'm with
0: mommy.
2: <laughs> Emily's, Emily's family and I have always been close, and they were just so excited about having a grandson. They're still kind of obsessed with him. He can literally do nothing wrong. Uh, you know, he, at the dinner table, he'll be wielding a steak knife and Em's mum will be like, oh sweet, isn't he the <laughs> best fighter in the world? <laughs> no, he's about to take us I. So he can't do anything wrong with Emily's family. My family, it was a little bit more difficult. My dad was, you know, it's this thing where if you have a quote unquote choice to have a child, yeah. i.e. you know, the the processes of uh, conceiving uh, require more kind of technical thought. Um, it's this idea that you should be quote unquote responsible about making the decision. So you shouldn't be having oopsies. You should make sure you're in the world's best financial position, the best home situation. And and we know that those things are never exactly what we want them to be. And some of the, you know, some people that are doing the world's best mothering aren't millionaires and, you know, don't have and our single mums and all of these things. So we know that those things aren't what make necessarily good parenting, although having money, we know, really, really, really helps. Oh. So so my family, first of all, I had to come out as gay because this was how were we were going to raise this child Yeah, without yeah. Um, them knowing that Emily was my partner and she was this child's mother. It was a thing that I never felt like I had to do before. It was not something I, I think coming out isn't as big For everyone, the act of coming out is not necessarily an act of bravery. Some of us don't come out or come out in different ways. um, And that's totally fine and something that should be embraced more. Mm -hmm. But but I had to do it in this instance. And I was happy to do it because there was no other way of asserting Emily's uh, motherhood to my family. And he didn't talk to me for the first six months of my pregnancy. Not a word. That was really, really hard. Because you guys know that that six months of pregnancy is... Fucking hell. Also, of,
1: you were mostly alone in Cape Town you were, I, know, I remember you were coming back and, Or you were going back and forth But it was quite lonely for you, no?
2: Yeah, and so I've been thinking a lot more About peripartum depression And reading about it Because not many people kind of acknowledge it To be um, a thing And it can be extremely debilitating. Disorienting and debilitating Yeah, because I've had depression all my life And I was on antidepressants In a way that was monitored and, and safe all during my pregnancy because I was so petrified of this big specter of postpartum depression and yet nobody had filled me in on this thing that could happen you know while I was pregnant and we and alongside all that stuff where you meant to be like having the best most blissful glowy stage of your life and you're not you're also depressed yes my sweetheart oh angel i was yeah i was alone in cape town you know those cape town winters where it just rains every single day you smell like damp all the time because your clothes are never drying shame. you know uh, he's just getting an imagination i don't know if you guys remember the stage and so he's like pretending to have cars and pretending to do things with out there being an object there but that also means that things are starting to get scary so he he doesn't quite understand what shadows are so he gets scared of shadows and that kind of stuff. So he's actually quite um, clingy at the moment because he's just figuring out like fear. And it's always this weird thing where there's always a balance you know with this like beauty of imagination also comes the really scary shit that your brain can do and that you can imagine. Anyway so I'm in Cape Town and I'm pregnant and it's raining and my family is not speaking to me and I gained about 35 kilograms on a body that wasn't, where that amount of weight was a large percentage of my orig- original body weight so it So he was pushing up against my lungs and I couldn't sleep and I was uncomfortable. So all of those physical things as well as the kind of emotional disconnect. And I was in the middle of this really, really hard depression that I've only come to understand as a depression retrospectively. Um, and I wish I knew more about peripartum depression than I wish I kind of had put in enough and better support networks and systems because uh, it was a really, really hard time. And of course, I mean, not of course, but of course, the universe uh, gave me absolutely no postpartum depression other than the kind of normal exhaustion and uh, feeling like, what the fuck am I doing this? But there was no, none of that kind of depression, depression. So yeah, I really got it hard when I was pregnant. And that's the, why I didn't come to my baby shower. Because I was just not leaving the house. I was just eating Butler's pizza every day. <laughs> so
1: peripartum depression is during pregnancy mm-hmm. depression. That's what mm-hmm. you're
0: Okay, got you. Okay. Yeah. I think my question is: so you're you're depressed and you're in Cape Town. When did you when did you start to feel it lift?
2: I started to feel it lift when I was when I went back home for maternity leave.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, I went to Joburg for my maternity leave, and I think that kind of indicated just how much of a situational depression it was. Because the second I was around my family, and in that, I was sharing a bedroom in a house while I was here in Cape Town. So it also wasn't like very much my space, you know. I was a shared kitchen, in a shared bathroom. And so it was, and it was mostly, it wasn't the fact that it was shared, it was that it was unfamiliar and it wasn't home. So when I got home and then my family started coming around to the fact that this child was happening, and they better get on board. Mm. I was graduating my, getting my degree. um, So things had felt like they were falling into place Mm. um, a lot more. And I knew Emily was coming next, the next year. So we were going to find, and then Dee helped me to find a place in Cape Town. That was a place I really liked with like landlordy people that were really cool. Also cool parents, by the way. Totally want to get in there on those parents as well. (laughs) Oh, what? Are they also listening? I'm not (laughs) listening. Well, who knows? They they might be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Of course the cool kids are listening, man. So I think that's when started actually. in these
1: conversations I'm constantly just amazed at how much people go through during pregnancies and the immediate aftermath and the first few years and and, and also how there's nothing about being a parent where you learn that skill and now Okay. For the most part, you're fine. It's just nothing like that. It's a constant, constant. Yeah? Mm.
2: So, and I think the way you survive is just by not knowing what's coming next. That's why sometimes I don't want to know what's happening with Tao because I'm like, oh shit, this is around the corner. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I but you were saying the difficulties of the pregnancy and then the difficulties of after the baby's born. But I also think we forget the difficulties of like the birthing and the decisions that need to be made there around money and what our bodies are able to do or not able to do. And, you, and all of those decisions about what kind of delivery you're going to have, what kind you can afford, who you can have there, who you, those, I mean, yeah. So oh, uh,
1: oh, Natty, let's talk a little bit about your birth actually, if you don't mind, because you did natural birth, right?
2: I like to call it vaginal birth. Because natural kind of assumes that there's an unnatural way, yeah.
1: Totally. And yeah, do you want to speak to us a little bit about the decisions that you made?
2: So I'll speak to you about it in the form of two anecdotes, right? The first anecdote, we decided, okay, let's give this... Um, let's let's try and not do a hospital. In our mind, we had the most beautiful story about the birthing outside of a capitalist system, taking the things that we find important about the world and the kind of world we want, manifesting that in the way we birth this child and go about birthing this child. <laughs> <laughs> no way. The first lady we go to. Right. First of all, turns out in retrospect she's some crazy anti vaxxer um, Okay. Uh, uh, like that has a whole cabal of anti vaxxers behind her, so you can't say anything. <laughs> and we get we get there oh, to the yeah yeah yeah. They, they always have like an army around them. So they're very scary. Those anti vaxxers Are one of you anti vaxxers No. Oh, okay. Sorry, you both are. And I was like, ain't nobody, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get get to her house we walk into the door you know how when you're going to consult someone like you expect someone to say come in or this is not our space she's just sitting there so we're like so so we'll show ourselves in then and then is there not an animal on every possible surface to sit on
0: oh my god like a-
2: dog on this thing a cat on this thing that the only thing there is are these two these two inflatable balls you know those pilates balls so here i am with my big ass belly and emily as well and we're both like teetering on this ball while we're talking to a midwife not a doula okay Mm. a midwife yeah she says talk to me just So I say, well, I live in Cape Town, but I'm wanting to deliver my baby in Joburg. And cuts me off. She says, we don't deliver babies. We deliver pizzas.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. So what does she what? want you to say?
2: But- well, who knows? Then she went through this whole, she went to show us photos of people who she was the midwife of. Yeah, who she'd she birthed photos. yeah she showed me photos which is fine it was you know she was showing me how they go about it and she was basically setting it up like anyone who wasn't able to do this vaginal delivery mm-hmm. in lotus position with their affirmations without screaming was a failure of a mother so we were like is the only way we get outside of being in this hospital where they're just trying to process you like a number mm-hmm. to like become anti-vaxxers who you have to make a birthday cake that day that you're in labor you have to make a birthday cake because your child's first birthday hell no i'm not making a cake to welcome this thing into the world like, absolutely So that's the one story so we're, we're trying to find a way to do this without like needing to somehow i don't know prove just this this like Fetishization of what's
0: natural, you know.
2: So we did find this midwife that was wonderful, um, but she passed on unfortunately. Oh wow! So then, kind of eight months in, I had these two midwives that are filling in for her, and they say we we're not going to give you your deposit back. So it was this these midwives or nothing. So that's the position we were in, and we were both like, well, you know, student midwives need someone to practice on, so we might as well be those people. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so yes, I I birthed him at Genesis. At um, we were lucky enough to have medical aid so at Genesis in one of those uh, water baths I was in the water bath I got to the hospital f- to the birthing center fully dilated so that was good but I did push for many hours because the child was sitting with his hands in fists on his head mm-hmm. I pushed and yeah the second anecdote is that Emily was sitting behind me I'm convinced that she was playing Candy Crush but she says she was not playing Candy Crush <laughs> so whatever um, look it's a lot of hours I would totally understand if she was playing Candy Crush and then he comes out and I'm holding him on my chest, and it's like the world's most beautiful moment, and I'm feeling so loved up, and all the hormones are everywhere, and I turned around to her, and I said, baby, why don't you join us? She says to me, I don't have my swimming costume. (laughs) I'm thinking, I've been sitting here naked, pushing a baby out of my birth canal for three hours, and you're telling me about your swimming costume, and in retrospect, she tells me, I had just looked down at the water, and it was like, jaws. And you're
0: like you, I'm not getting into that shit.
2: like, there was no love in the world that was enough. I'm going to get into that water and you'll never find me ever again. Okay. <laughs> it was a really beautiful experience. The labor was much better than the pregnancy. Okay, last question
1: about the birth. Doula's. you made a different kind of a choice around a doula and you had two of your nearest and dearest with you right why did you go that route because often i think we've kind of had this discussion in weird roundabout ways on the show around the choice for a doula and why a doula because you know the assumption is that for a lot of uh, people in hetero relationships that somehow a man is miraculously going to know what to do with a woman in labor. And that's not necessarily the case, but also similarly, a similar argument could be made about anyone who is not used to being in a labor room. So my question was, how did everyone know what they were going to do? Did it work for you? Did you enjoy it?
2: Well, nobody knew what they were going to do. The main reason why we didn't get a doula, and I'm going to be honest with you, is because we couldn't afford it. Okay. That was what made the decision for us. But then, of course, I had to find like a nice rational reason why I also didn't get a doula. So I started reading up about it. Okay. I mean, for hundreds of years or probably longer, there's been kind of intimate female women friends who would be around for your birth. And so in many ways, those women were doulas, right? Yeah, yeah. You'd been been at many births. So you kind of figure out what helps, what doesn't help, what how to hold that space, uh, which is a lot of what a doula does. And so we were thinking, well, who are the best people who hold our space? And they were these um, our child's two godmothers. So they did a lot of research as to what it would take. I must say, we were so absolutely blessed that one of them... Um, who's just had her own daughter now and uh, yay shout out congrats knew exactly how to massage my lower back oh. it was just something that she knew instinctively and it made all the difference during the contractions and I'm so glad we went the way we did but I also know that that massage kind of changed my whole labor I know that that's something that doulas know and so I would not you know. <laughs> I would not begrudge anyone the choice of having a doula in that room if that's the kind of support that they can give and that's the kind of way they know women's bodies. Phew, give me 60 doulas next time. Yeah. yeah. I love you, Tao. I love
1: you, mommy. You want to tell Mama something special? Ice cream. Mmm. I want
2: ice cream. In the morning, yeah.
0: The, the thing that I keep coming back to for pregnancy and for birth is this idea of support. And it seems as though, just in terms of talking about what you were saying, is around your peri um, perinatal depression, you being in Cape Town, I think probably further exacerbated, as you said, was situational, right? Like just a feeling of not feeling supported and held during a very vulnerable time. And similarly, then for birth, like just knowing that you have people in. Your space, and I quite like how you and M thought through the birth in terms of who holds our space, who mm. already of our existing community holds our space, and who has been invited to the birthing room to mm. further hold that space for us. It's really mm. beautiful.
1: What's interesting is that it—I almost want to say—it offers another possibility because, like, in the kind of world that we live in, where everything is um, mm. monetized, it's something that you need to consume, this thing, you need this process. And as all three of us have experienced the, you know, pregnancy, birthing, it's all, they're all industries essentially, right? Toddlers, like how to manage it. Every part of a child's life and your part in relation to where they are at is part of a system, right? And we know that. We know that's how capitalism functions. But I think what's nice about um, exactly as you're saying, Kat, this thing of having sat down and really thought about who are the people who hold space now in our lives because there are people who know us and who could possibly do that for us in this kind of space required trust perhaps a little bit more thought because it's not an immediate like how
0: do we solve this with with what a service is, how do we get a service provider in to solve this for us exactly and then you divorce yourself from that because yes. you're like you're the expert you should be thinking through these things yes. instead of it being a collaborative so experience true. exactly Yeah.
1: so like so so what you're saying or what i'm hearing you say is that there also there are other possibilities that come from exactly what you've said which is sometimes just taking a step back and thinking because I mean also as you said earlier money does help it's a, it's a huge thing right obviously in this in this game in many different games but in the in the child early life stuff it's a lot because we can't all afford everything all the time right so so to just stop pause be like okay cool how can we navigate this in a way where with we've thought about it and this is the best possible thing we can come up with so it still feels it's still a choice there's lots more agency possibly involved than just being like who's the best service provider right mm-hmm. so i think yeah that's really um that's so useful thank you yeah i feel like i've just really learned but
2: one of the one of the things that we don't think about with that as well mm-hmm. is that yes it involves agency and yes all the kind of parenting that the, that the people you guys speak with and yourselves and I think us, Emily and I are trying to do, is the kind of parenting that just requires us to like sit back and think like you're saying, Dee. But that is a lot of work and a lot of emotional energy. And sure, it's often like exactly how we want to be moving in the world and raising our kids. But it is exhausting. Like I said to you this morning, Dee, I was like, I wish I was just less woke sometimes because I do just want to put the child in front of little baby bum and have him like Be quiet for two hours. But now I'm thinking of what puzzle must we do? That's I mean, that's a very superficial example. But you know, the thinking about how to be good people and how to parent well is is exhausting. It
1: really is, and it's exhausting around every corner. Like the examples, the seemingly superficial examples are actually just they're just the top layer of a whole lot of other shit, right? In the in the kind of larger discourses around woke parenting, right? And I also think we can't all achieve. All of it. So you make mm-hmm. some of it right and then actually you like totally fuck out on other things. And um, so you're perpetually
0: making compromises. Yeah. Right? You're perpetually saying, What is it what do I have capacity for? Sure. What do we have capacity for? Financially, intellectually, emotionally, all of those mm. sorts of things. So I think that we're always making trade-offs. I mean, Steve yes. was circulating an article, I don't know if you've seen it, Natasha, mm. the one that you circulated yesterday around oh. why parents are so, mothers are so exhausted. It didn't say parents, I said mothers. Yeah. Is that you, your, your kids are down at seven or eight or whatever time they're down and then you end up like, Scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or, or watching Netflix, watching, uh, Netflix, right? For the next three, four, five, six hours, knowing that you're you're basically compromising on your sleep just so that you can have some solitude, yeah. by time. That's your time. That's 100% like just yours, right? Yes. So you wake up in the morning and you're exhausted and you know that you should have gone to bed like two hours before, but you didn't because for a moment you just wanted the solitude. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's mm-hmm. a perpetual exchange. of Either it's the solitude or the sleep or the sex. Those are my three top S's, right? Yeah. Where you're perpetually like revolving them like, I know I shouldn't be fucking with my husband or my man, but I really want that dick so that I, you know, like, I, I'm I going to be tired in the morning. I'm going to be tired and I'm not going to have, have the solitude and it's perpetually mm-hmm. about my like, those exchanges i don't know yeah i think so completely like
2: i I shouldn't be watching this quiz show in the evenings i just watch quiz shows yeah Yeah. but also that that like alone time versus time with your partner you know i also think that's a that's a thing and of course a lot of these things just make us feel guilty you know in the evenings why am i sitting in the room on instagram when i could have the only conversation that's not about poo or screen time with my partner of the day. And yet that desire to be alone is so strong. Okay. Like, and it does. And I, and I know because when, when she says something to me from the lounge, I sometimes, like, throw my phone like I was. I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't on my phone. You know, because <laughs> you feel so guilty.
1: Yeah.
2: Because you want to be doing all those things at once. And also, you know what you want to be doing? You want to be, like, vacuuming. I want to be vacuuming sometimes because the house looks a mess when the child goes to sleep. And the vacuum is really loud. So when, practically, does one actually vacuum? Yeah. Honestly, is this a, is this a problem that you guys have well, solved? Actually, no, uh,
0: it's not a problem uh, you've solved,
1: actually. But now this is actually a good opportunity, I think, to swing back to the stuff around nursery schools and the stuff around how childcare. one gets yeah childcare, help in the house, how you keep all the balls in the air. Because what you're saying is that you're factoring this thing of trying to create some neatness in your home, but where does that fit in now in the three hours that everybody's home in the late afternoon, right? between having to figure out supper and still kind of entertaining the child, but also making sure he's bathed and, and all of that shit and connecting. And and, yeah, exactly. So there's almost like a, not everybody knows your context. So I want to ask you to just provide some of that. Maybe speak a little to the choice. because you sent Tareki to... Cresh nursery school, early. I mean, I think it's unfair to say early because it's almost like I'm saying nobody else does that, but actually most people, people send their children to nursery school, school from really young because they have to go back to work because that's how it works. Yes. And I remember you and I having that conversation and you're saying, mm, this is kind of just what we want for him. And it was a biggish nursery school also, I remember. So maybe you want to speak a little bit to some of those things because I feel like in, again, quote unquote, these woke circles, we all have these long conversations conversations with each other, with ourselves, with our partners, with family, whoever, about what might be best for the child, what might be best for the so- for the child. And at the time that you sent Tarek to, I forget the nursery school's name, not that I think we need to mention it, but it was like right opposite our house. Do you remember where Tau and I were staying in Melbourne? And it was so interesting because we could have, my entire day could have been completely different if, for example, Tawi was just going across the road to that nursery school, but he was going in um, to a little play group in observatory, which wasn't far, like a five minute drive, but it was still a navigation of time and space and location, you know, so so all of those things are interesting for me.
2: So, I mean, again, there were practical uh, decisions, practical considerations, um, as well as considerations about caring for the child and what's best for the child and what's best for us. And um, Em had to go back to work and I had to also be doing my postdoc. But the reality was that, We probably only needed to send him to creche three days a week. And of those three days, maybe only one of them had to be a full day. The other two could have been half days. But we didn't. We sent him to creche because my postdoc, you know, with a postdoc, you know, you're relatively flexible. But we sent him to creche from five months um, every day, uh, call it until about three o'clock. Because we don't think that um, somebody who cares for your child at home should also have to do domestic work. Because caring for a child is 50 jobs. and we weren't able to pay that person what somebody needs to be paid in order to do uh, that quantity of work and uh, people at creches at, at are trained to do childcare. We didn't know anyone in Cape Town so we thought it would be a good way to kind of network with other parents and how we can get to know other kids and you know I dropped him off at creche for that first day and I got to work and everyone was like this must be the hardest day of your whole life and I was like hell no! So happy I am so and it changed my parenting for the better, I must say on the whole, you know, of course, some people find it very difficult to drop their children off and for their children to go to crash, and I've had those difficult days, but for the most part, it's made me a better parent to be able to have those hours in the day to work you know some of those some of those days when I was doing my postdoc, I had a nap you know in the afternoon while he was at creche, and I knew I was meant to be feeling guilty because I could be spending time with my kid for this time, but I didn't often. And I think that that's okay. And we decided on sending him to a crash because of the hours we wanted. It wouldn't have been feasible to do a daycare often there, half days. Because he was so young, a lot of daycares only took kids from about when they were walking. And um, he wasn't walking, obviously, at five months. He wasn't walking (laughs) at 22 months, guys. We say he spent so much energy making all those teeth. He had like a full mouth of teeth by the time he was nine months. Oh. That, 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 that's why he wasn't doing anything else. <laughs> well, now he's having a tantrum. And then what we found with this crash, I don't know how to quite explain this crash to you. It's a lot like the crashes that Em and I went to when we were kids. Yeah. Right? It was basically like, it wasn't, um, it didn't belong to any, what do you call these things? Like Montessori or Waldorf, mm. any of it. It was a NJ crush. Mm. And the kids just did what they wanted all the time. Like they were eating flings by the time they were three months old. Like they were just, <laughs> and, and the reason we chose this crash was because the teachers really gave a shit about those babies. They yes. were so invested. And Em and I were here w- without our family. So we needed someone to tell us like, that cough sounds like something where you should go to a okay. doctor. Okay. Um, no, this one, you just smear camphor on their face. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of like, so that's just like assistance with parenting was really wonderful and um, Emily calls it pastoral care so like you know everyone was kind of a mother of that baby but then when we'd walk past the older classes we'd hear teachers first of all kids were very quiet and I don't think children should be very quiet right There's something they do they're getting up to some or they're being controlled in a way that we don't want and yeah. we'd hear the teachers saying you can't color in with white crayon on a white paper people yeah. should be like could color in with white crayon on any color paper he wants and they'd make a big deal about how the kids could come home and count to 10 by the time they were one and a half years and I I mean frankly if my kid doesn't learn to count to 10 by the time okay no it's probably good that he comes to 10 at some stage soon (laughs) but yeah so that kind of thing so we decided to send him to somewhere smaller we decided on the Montessori and so we moved him um, at about one and a half and it's been a really good decision to move him Um, but we missed the crash. we're still in touch with some of the teachers but I think that was good for us for while he was really small and now that he's older and I'm of course I'm on the PTA and trying to kind of get my claws in and control as much as possible at the crash. but it's a sweet place you know there's some cool parents as we've discussed several times shout out to me if you want to be friends guys Um.
1: (laughs) okay no I hear you I um I remember we had that conversation and it was just quite refreshing that you guys were just like okay cool what are the decisions that we want to make for us and what are the decisions that make sense for this household I thought it was really interesting now the way you said you were taking a nap in the car and you knew you're feeling guilty but actually you needed the nap and so like for so many moms with kids at that age and you're now at that point right five six months now right but it's the second one so it's different I, just that that overwhelming feeling of guilt and you almost feel like a lot of moms actually live on that that kind of constant anxiety for the first while until they're not and then they're not sleeping enough and you know and not, and also not allowing themselves the moment to sleep where there's a moment sleep but it doesn't get done so I kind of I like and appreciate what you're saying you know that you're just like fuck it I'm gonna take a nap like I could be spending time with him I could be finishing an article or whatever other kind of demands of you know being a young emerging academic da, 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 da. like you could be doing all of those things and you're like actually I need a nap because
2: I'm tired so
1: when
2: yeah, I talk my car. At work in a place that had shade because I was planning on going back to it to nap sometime during the day.
0: I think it's I think that moms don't allow themselves joy. Like yeah. any moment of joy, any moment of indulgence. Um, one, we don't have we really don't have the time, but two, I think that there's also like a block to that. Like now that I'm a mom, there's all these other millions of things that I should be doing. So like I totally, totally hear that. Yeah. Wow, that's a very big story. Tell me more. Uh-huh. My goodness. Oh, my sweetheart. I just love your stories. uh i also think what i really liked about what you were saying natasha is um i think also is that there's this the sense that i get like when i first became a mom to akani i needed to kind of have everything figured out and every decision that i made felt like a decision forever so like putting him into the first crash i in my mind he was going to be there until grade r mm. and actually akani changed crashes once and he will change crashes one more time before he or maybe more, actually. This will be his third crush in his three years of life, or almost four years of life, you know? And I actually think that that, for me, is something that I think is useful just to know as a as a parent that that, that you're going to perpetually be changing your mind about things and that too is okay mm. you know what I mean mm. You're perpetually it's that pause and to think about does this still serve us does mm. this still serve me as a mom does it still serve our family does it still serve the child and if it does, if you answer no to one of those questions then to rethink about where you're putting your kid in mm. or what you're doing with your kid mm. or the activities that you're doing or whatever whatever it is that you're thinking about so
2: it's such an important point and I think it circles back to the thing about M and Mai's relationship as well is this kind of relationship Relationship still serving us now is having no screen time with Tarek still serving us now. You know the idea that you guys have spoken on the show before about you have. Three things, three primary things. You know, the child needs to be kind. Um, you, you know, those things that you don't compromise on, and then everything else is a conversation. Mm. You know, It'll, or everything else is up for grabs and up for reevaluation. Yeah, and I think that's fundamental, Kathleen, and it's fundamental for us in our lives as well. You know, in mm. our lives as well. Mm. Yeah. I was
1: gonna say because this was like a running joke in my family. Well, it still is. How every school I went to, I'd go for a short while and then. Well, when I was very little, so grade one, what would have been sub A, first day there, I was standing in the line. I'll never forget this, you know, just to, it's so interesting also because, like children, you remember things. I mean, the fact that I still remember remember this, you know, however many years later. So I was in this basically lining up to go into the class, right? A friend, they were family friends, right? They're three girls, and she was the youngest of the three girls, and they were all like, you know, just like really good children, you know, and like just well behaved and very smart. And the sisters had like set this precedent and you know, so and I remember, she, I think she was in the class next to mine, so they're also lining up to go into class, possibly in the same class, I can't remember. But I remember then saying to the teacher, oh, something like this boy isn't in our class or whatever. And she turned around and she basically screamed at me. She was like, that's not your business. You just stand there and be quiet. And I went home and I cried and cried and I said, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back there. And like, for all my parents, weird shit. Honestly, every time I did that, they listened. They moved me. Like, I didn't stay. I wasn't made to stay. Now, okay, I know there are two ways to look at this. The one could be, you know, were they training me to stick out things that were a little bit uncomfortable? Perhaps not. But with something like a school, I feel like, like you said about Akani, your child keeps saying something, I'm unhappy, I'm bored or whatever it might be. You also have to listen to them, right? And then I actually kept doing that. That wasn't even the first occasion. I did it at I was the child who cried in the Christmas play thing, didn't want to be on the stage, like that weirdo Just as an angel. And then later on, high school was the same. And I remember I did it at high school the first day, and my dad picked me up and he said, I understand that you're not like feeling this. I can't remember his exact words. And he said, Let's give this a little while, I and mean, then you let us know how you feel. So at some point, they did also kind of. Challenge me a little, and I yeah. you now I can appreciate
2: that. You know, that I- it doesn't translate directly, but I think some of the sentiments are there when we're talking about raising both girl and boy children as well. So, with girl children, I think this is an important point around consent. So when a girl child says to you, I don't want to do this thing, you take it really seriously because you're teaching them to be in a world where often we don't listen to women who say, I don't want to do stuff, right? So you show them that that is important. And with a boy child, so we took Tarek to the beach yesterday and he was getting uh, scared of going a little bit deeper and I was thinking you know a lot of our parents would have said come on man you know just enjoy it it's going to be nice and then I thought actually my child is communicating to me as a boy child that he's scared of something and he's going to be in a world that tells him over and over and over again boys don't get scared boys just push on through and that of course is teaching him consent as well that like when you're scared when you don't want to that pushing on through is not okay and not always the best thing for everyone involved and it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be vulnerable and I think that yeah being able to change things is actually a very important kind of political step as well mm-hmm. that it's okay to step out of something when things aren't going right when things feel uncomfortable or when you just don't feel like her, or the people around you don't feel like her. absolutely but also
0: there's this thing about and this is what we're all talking about is this idea of communication right so our children mm-hmm. communicate with us all the time but we don't Don't believe children like we don't believe women. So I think that also like it's about taking as you say your child seriously so i do hear you around like your dad and mom and like you know i think that if they can't and also increase the power dynamics are what the power dynamics are this is a small child dealing with like a teacher that's screaming at this child yeah. right the power dynamics are fucked from the beginning right so you can't tell the child to push on through or figure it out and it's a complex world because the power dynamics are stacked against the child mm. in high school you can you can be a little bit Absolutely. more and say push through a little bit it is uncomfortable so it's also about what is appropriate for that yes. child at any given point exactly I know that like I went to a school in Berea um, a, a in Berea and I used to get teased mercilessly for my hair my hair was very curly and very frizzy and I looked like a white kid but clearly my hair gave me away in, in a way that was like I wasn't white and it was a white um crèche mm. and my mom for two weeks i would sit alone and i'd be teased mercilessly my mother was like "Fuck this this is not going to work pull me out send me to another place." which i was very happy at fast forward to primary school i got smacked by a grade two teacher and my mother took the teacher on and got like people in the education sector involved Mm. and basically was she was going to lose her job for smacking me and basically changed the way that that woman the, the teacher taught moving forward. She never snapped again. She like, you know, and I, I stayed in her class, but it was, I, I was very clear that somebody had taken the power dynamic on my behalf. Yeah. Doesn't yes. make sense, yes. and shifted it forward. Well, I got expelled from a school because my mother threatened to throw a Molotov cocktail.
2: the <laughs> <a> school <ridiculous. laughs> my but took it at to a whole level. got expelled? No, they, they, they kindly suggested I leave because <laughs> my mother wanted to
0: bomb the school. <laughs> But I also think we really good- have to do that though. Parents have to do that. We are, we have to advocate for our kids in whatever way mm-hmm. that looks like, whether it is taking on an education board or whether it is throwing a fucking bomb at the school. That's what it looks like. You know what I mean? And whatever that looks like for you. I just think, and you well, know, our, par- our parents had just
2: come out of the, the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, like, if people thought that they couldn't build bombs, they were
0: sorely mistaken. that's why you were asked to leave. They were like, this is for real. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And I'm so
0: glad I did. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. 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 So
2: I think yeah, and I, I don't know. So you're right. The, the the words we tell them and the things we read them need to be backed up by the way we live with them and the way they kind of experience the world. But I don't know what the answers are. And I think that turning to other other people that have gone through this needs to be something that we do a lot more often so that we can share it so that we're not just kind of on this island of thinking we're figuring this out alone because we're not. And also Yeah, I- that's, that's-
1: Sorry to cut you off, but this is such a thing with like this kind of uh, woke parenthood terrain is that everyone's also so scared to say like... Oh, my child's doing something that doesn't appear so enlightened. And because immediately the assumption is that that's a reflection of you and how cuck you are. And actually you think in very binary and stupid ways. And so really you're just not that woke after all. Mm -hmm. And you're like, actually, that's not what it is. It's that like we're all actually figuring this shit out. You're actually shady in your own home too. We're all, it's messy all around, you know. So there's also not enough we've spoken about before how we don't, we're not generous with moms, we're not da 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 but we're also not generous with each other in the ways, yes. in the way, like, the children bring home things and you respond, and, you know, so kind of what you're saying, we have to keep, you have to also keep talking to friends who you're not know, going to be just honest, like, just be, you know, well, like,
2: like and you have to question also your own dogmatic positions. you know, there's not, no one better that makes you question them than a kid. Absolutely. To be like, yeah, you know, like, yes, everybody he sees doing care work appears to be a black woman. Like, wh- wh- what kind of spaces am I traveling in that I think about in theory or that I should think about more or just pay more attention to? Yeah, and and you're right. We, we're very judgmental of each other and our, and our kind of woke points on yeah. our woke scales. Absolutely. Okay.
0: okay. Thanks, you guys. It's been so... Let's just have this chat every week. We should. Actually. Podcast a lot. With croissants and coffee, I'm joking. Oh, girl. But you, know, you don't have to my meat.
2: No, but... This is you... a, a, a quiet shout-out that we might be looking for spoil in
0: the future. Contact
2: Natasha by her Instagram account. You can DM her. Slide into my DMs. Guys, I've always wanted to say that. I've never been able to say it before. Yeah. Sliding to my D. Say it again.
0: <laughs> Slide. <laughs> <laughs> <from> my <laughs> oh my god, you are <laughs> Okay.
1: Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> okay, thanks you guys. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude. Otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 mama,
2: mama, 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 The That's same way so I immerse myself in my career.
1: Yeah, you've now immersed yourself I've now immerse immerse my
0: myself
2: in motherhood. Mama is a bounce Mama is a bounce. If, if mama's the bones. <laughs> Weird,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama,
0: mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously. On a serious note, it's, it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. Attitude.